0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby pod. I'm Ross Carr with you for another week on rugbypass.com and Sky Sport, joined of course by James Parsons in the Auckland studio as ever. And down, will actually in another Auckland studio, we've traded <laughs> Bryn Hall, uh, we've upgraded. Big time. Heavily. To heavily.
2: To <laughs> That'd be like Kevy taking my spot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to the one and only Dan Carter. Dan, thank you very much for joining us on the show. no worries.
3: Thanks, guys. Good to be on here. I do feel bad for Britain because he does such an exceptional job, but I know um, if, if he was on here, he'd just want to to talk, uh, you know, stories, off, off-field stories more than, <laughs> than regular so I remember doing something for the Crusaders. We were talking about high performance, leadership, what it meant to be a true Crusader man, and then at the end, I threw um, to some of the players to ask questions and Bryn was straight, yep. Said, okay, cool. He yeah, wants to know something about nine and 10 combinations or communication. He's like, nah, who's the most famous person you've met? Really to know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: what was the answer to that question? Did you, were you happy with it?
3: Uh, it was, I was tossing up a time in Monaco when, um, yeah, I was on the tag hoia boat with um, Tom Brady and Bella Hadid. Yeah. Um, and I went for Bella because she actually um, saw me grab a beer out of the, the fridge on the boat. And she's like, I can't let you drink by yourself. So she joined me and uh, had a beer <laughs> with me
2: outstanding <laughs> that's so good that's a pretty good yarn <laughs> Bryn's got this image this perfect image that you've just ruined <laughs> <Brilliant>. uh, <laughs> we've had a it's basic rule right
3: didn't have a beer with me so I in that yeah well,
2: <laughs> fair enough
1: yeah well, we've got a rule of not giving Bryn big ups on this show yeah. you are going to tear into him or remind him about Artie Savi running over the top of him what outside of that? of that nothing positive about Bryn uh, at least not for the next 20 minutes while we've got Dan right um, so it. Dan thank you very much for joining us uh, one of the main reasons we've got you on the show this week is you're undertaking a new part in your career a philanthropic side of your career with unicef and you're going to do something quite different something typically you to start off your dc10 fund to help children throughout the pacific tell us a little bit about it yeah we just
3: want to know a little bit about this you know when you're transitioning now to rugby it's actually quite challenging when your sole purpose is to be the best rugby player you possibly can be. And, and that's been my purpose for the last 18 years. And then having retired last year, I'm, I'm still repurposing and using this time to figure out exactly what the next chapter of my life looks like. Um, but at the same time, I look around and, and realize that I'm really grateful to have the life that my family and I live. And a lot of that is off the back of sport and rugby in particular. So I want to use this time of transition to use sort of my platform and sport to give back to give back to people in need and in particular children. So get really inspired about helping uh, the next generation or kids in need. Um, So I've been an ambassador for UNICEF for about seven years and I've seen all the incredible work they do for kids all over the world. Um, There was a part of me that always wanted to do more but with your rugby schedule, you just don't have those opportunities. So in this time of transition, I thought I'd set up my own fund, uh, named it the DC10 Fund, and I partnered with UNICEF. So as an ambassador for UNICEF, you don't always get to choose which project that you support. So with setting up the DC10 Fund, I could hand pick the UNICEF projects that I was really passionate about and wanted to shine the light on, help, support, advocate for, So I launched that a couple of weeks ago um, and we're focusing on a project called WASH Project in the Pacific. Uh, We were providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene uh, to kids there. Uh, Basically, you know, sanitation related diseases uh, are one of the leading causes of death to children under five years old. So in order for these children to have the best start in life, they're on the back foot already just by having something that we take for granted here Hmm. in New Zealand is access to, to clean water. So that's a real focus for me. I do a little bit of work um, as well uh, in Tonga after the traumatic events of the, the volcanic eruption up there. And, and we're also doing some work around child's rights here in Aotearoa as well. So that's um, a little bit about the DC10 fund in partnership with UNICEF. But I thought, you know, no better way to kick things off than with a fundraising event, um, which is just around uh, the corner. So I tried to marry up Two uh, two things I really enjoy. One that I've just talked about, giving back to children, and the other one is kicking goals, uh, something I've always done ever since <laughs> I was a little kid.
2: Can, can we talk through, um, you know, you haven't gone small in terms of the challenge. Uh, how, how did you come about um, coming up with that? Oh, it's, to be honest, it's, it's something
3: I've just had in my mind for a couple of years now. Um, when you finish playing rugby, you know, you train, you keep busy, you keep fit, but it's actually really tough to train when you don't have an end goal. And with rugby, you've always got a goal. So you have real focus in in your training and you're testing yourself physically and mentally week in, week out. And I missed that uh, when I I retired. So I was like, okay, well, it's time to to test myself physically and (laughs) mentally. And Um, to do it in something that I love and something that's much bigger than me. It's it's helping, you know, make an impact uh, to children in need. So um, I thought, right, if we're going to do it, do it properly. So see how many goals I can kick in in 24 hours uh, at Eden Park um, or to to raise money and and help provide clean water for the children in need in the Pacific.
2: You you said physically there. Um, Is the strategy all off the left or (laughs) are we going to utilise the right?
3: Oh, I've been training for about seven months and my first session, and I had kicked for a couple of months before then. And as I was driving to the training field, I thought, right, okay, what's the Guinness Book of Records? Let's have a look. Let's have a <laughs> like that. And there's, there's, actually no record. Um, there's only a, a record for 12 hours kicked by a team of 15 people. And it was around 1800 kicks in 12 hours. So I broke that down, to around 150 kicks an hour. I was like, I'll give it a crack. See how long it takes me to kick 150 kicks. This is after not kicking for two months. <laughs> I did my 150 in about 45 minutes. Um, quad strain, blisters <laughs> all over the heels, and I was like, "What are you up to?" Um, right, let's, let's just uh, reassess uh, where we're at here. So the next three weeks, I ended up kicking off my wrong foot, and I actually felt really comfortable after that three weeks kicking with my my wrong foot. So I was like, "Okay, well, I need to use both feet, and I'm not going to go for a Guinness Book of Records. I'm actually going to." try and have a a bit more of a reasonable target. So um, I decided 1,598 successful kicks, which is how many test points I scored in my All Black career. So I broke that down. Um, It was about 66 kicks an hour. So just over a kick a minute um, for 24 hours. I was like, right, that's my target. It's nice to have something to, to work towards. So I've been working towards that throughout my training the last seven months.
1: How does that work over the space of let's say you break it down into hour slots where you kick for 40, rest for 20? You know, how does it work through that 24 hours of kicking? Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, 40 minutes on, 20 on. It. It's,
3: yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's taken a bit of strategy. And I, I initially got some good training programs from uh Ash Draper, the blues physio, oh, one actually. of the greats. Yeah, he's been awesome. He loves drum and bass, and so do I. So we often uh <laughs> Had to do a, a, a rehab and things to, to put a drum and bass, but so he he helped me initially before he had to shoot off to, to Queenstown with the blues, and you um, I've had George Duncan as well, the, the muscle uh, specialist with the All Blacks. He's been keeping me on track as well, so I've had some good good help. But I can kick sixty six kicks um, in about twenty minutes if I really wanted to, but I want to do it sort of, you know long and slower so i thought i'd drag that out to about 40 minutes and then i'd use the other 20 minutes to refuel go to the bathroom talk to some of the, the guests that might be there the volunteers and just kind of uh, freshen up before i do it all over again uh, for 20 four hours straight. Um, so to be honest, i am gone into the unknown, so I don't really know. It's, yeah. it's all good having a, a plan and strategy and until it's three o'clock in the morning and you, you're tired and hungry and um, you just wanna get the hell out of there.
1: <laughs> now, before we carry on, you can watch this on Sky streaming. You can watch it on Dan's website. What's your website, Dan?
3: Yeah, dancarter.com forward slash kickathon for all the information, um, the live stream, Uh, where all the funds are going to, how to donate. Um, There's little giveaways like a pair of my retirement boots, uh, my book um, that you can win uh, once you donate. So all the information's on the website.
1: And for people who couldn't handle watching you kick for 24 hours, you've got a few mates coming along to help you out.
3: Yeah, I have. Yeah, So I kick off um, Thursday the the 7th at 7pm. And then at 8 o'clock, I've called on uh, as many... Ex black ferns and uh, all blacks as I, I could uh, that played number ten or, or kick goals, um, you know, for their team. So the likes of Leon McDonald. Um, we've got actually Bodie's going to come down. Uh, Stephen Donald, who I might have to keep there in case I get injured, and he can uh, <laughs> uh, do a miraculous uh, saviour like he did back in 2011. You got a tight <laughs> shirt <for him>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll, he'll bring his own. As long as he brings some white bait, that'll be that'll be handy. Comes along there. Uh, Foxy, Grant Fox is coming oh. along, but he assures me that he cannot kick. His knees um, are absolutely buggered. Same as Anna Richards as well, but she's told me her knees are no good as well. So if anything, it's given me some inspiration to make sure I kick while I still can because if anything like those guys, You know, there'll be one day where I, where I can't. <laughs> You'll be leaving this thing in a wheelchair maybe. <laughs> no, 40 this yeah, month, honestly, then. It's not my home place. When I'm kicking goals, it's like meditation to me. I just absolutely love it. I know I won't be able to do it one day, but um, as soon as the trainings started getting four, five, six hours long, it's no longer meditation.
1: It's actually bloody hard work. Four, five, six hours long. What time do you start? Is it just through the middle of the day, or have you done overnight? Yeah, uh, between
3: between school hours. Um, So last week was the end of my big three-week block. Um, So. I'd kick three sessions a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And one of those sessions would be a long session of four, five. or last week I did a six-hour session. And I'd kick two hours worth of kicks in that one hour. So I said 66 kicks an hour for for my target. So I'd do 132 kicks um, an hour. So I did that last week. So that's just under 800 kicks in six hours. So, yeah, that was me down at College Rifles uh, the other day for six hours. (laughs) Quite repetitive. <laughs> That's
1: that is hard work.
2: Now, now I know you're a fellow codehead, there, dizzy. Um, who's taking your fancy in terms of uh, the form team and Super at the moment?
3: Oh, I absolutely love it. i um, obviously um, follow uh, the Crusaders. You know, with, with my heart, had a um, some good interaction with with the Blues when you were there. So you know, follow those two teams. Um, but still, anyone's game. That's what I love about the competition this year. You know, the Highlanders have had some tough games, but any one of those, um, any one of those teams could could be there. I, I don't think the Crusaders have hit their straps yet. They'll be, um, yeah, they'll be disappointed with their, their game in the weekend. Uh, their set piece very un-Crusader like. Um, you know, they just weren't controlling the ball as, as well as they. Too many turnovers. Um, didn't hold on to the ball for long periods of time, didn't put enough pressure um, on the Highlanders, so they'll be really disappointed with that, but you know, hard to go hard to go past them when you know you start getting to the, the pressure stages of the competition.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, and and talk, talking about pressure and sort of take away from uh, your your kickathon there, but I'm, I'm interested to know, back in 2009 you, you were obviously part of the team that came off the back of two losses on the um, end of year tour, but then must have turned a corner there to build towards 2011. Where do you think the the key um, points of growth this this year for the All Blacks?
3: Yeah, there was, you know, it was a really disappointing year in 2009. Um, but a lot of the work and the success that we had in 2011 and 2015 was off the back of the learnings that we got in 2007. So we learned that we needed to spend a lot more time on our our mental strength, the, the mental side of the game because we weren't able to handle pressure. There was a lot of talk about the All Blacks being chokers come World Cup time and as soon as we got put under pressure we um, we didn't perform. So we spent a lot of lot of work with uh, Kerry Evans, uh, Gilbert Anoka working on our, our mental strength and actually walking towards pressure and that really helped us even though we had a, a blip in uh, 2009 where the Springboks absolutely uh, dominated us in, in three test matches but we managed to turn things around, uh, 2010, 2011. But what I, I shouldn't be saying this, but what I like is, in 2019, that would have really hurt a lot of the Crusaders, and in, in particular the experienced Crusaders. Ah, oh, sorry, Crusaders, the All Blacks. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was talking Super <laughs> Rugby. Um, yeah, so 2019 would have really hurt. So in 2015, 2011, there were players in that world cup squad that knew what it was like to lose at a rugby world cup so there was still a lot of hurt a lot of learnings from from those experiences you go to 2019 there was no one in the squad that had been part of a losing world cup squad that only had success mm. with the likes of 2015. so for 2023 you're going to be players there that were there in 2019 that have that hurt that have that drive that have that desperation um, so, I see it as a as a positive. Um, and I know you probably shouldn't, that uh, we didn't win that last one. But as long as they use those learnings and those the experience and that drive that really hurt um, that they went through in Japan, then it's going to be really beneficial for them.
1: On the flip side of that, Dan, you look at the French now. And they are absolutely humming. And they didn't come off a World Cup with things. Where they went they awful at <laughs> yeah. that World Cup. And now they're absolutely humming. They've got some young players who are dead set superstars. You spent some time over there. What do you make of the squad and where they're going, the French team? Because right now, they're the favourites according to everyone.
3: Yeah, they are um, I'm really impressed. And I really enjoy watching the French at the moment. I always knew that they had the talent. They've always had the talent. They were playing there that... Um, you know, I just reconfirmed uh, what I already knew about French rugby is they're talented and they can beat anyone on their team. What they did lack was consistency, and they've shown that. There's still a part of me that's thinking maybe their last game at the Six Nations, they might trip over because there's a little bit of pressure, they're expected to win, they're the favourites, but they didn't. They played extremely, extremely well, which to me goes to show – that they've got their culture sorted. They've got these young guys um, that are in there and they're playing for something bigger than themselves. What that is, who knows? But they've got an incredible um, setup in terms of their culture and they're young, they're playing with such freedom, they're playing with passion, and they are. They're the form team at World Rugby at the moment. Whether that continues, you know, we're still 18 months away, anything can happen in that time, but they are moving In the right direction but world cup rugby is completely different to any rugby six nations rugby championship um club footy because to win it you have to play seven games straight in a row tournament rugby it's very different yes six nations is a tournament but two games on one off it's different so things are going to happen in a world cup that don't normally happen with um referee calls injuries pressure um so it's how the team at the tournament best works together and solves those problems, and, and grows as the tournament goes, and is able to to perform in those precious situations. It's going to win it, um, you know. And you know that you yes, start the form side, but I don't think that they've um, had those really big moments. I think they've got the team to, to do that, um, and yeah, man, I think it just makes it so much more exciting to have a team like France performing and also playing. The style that they are and having success off that as well it's um exciting to see
1: 100 i suppose the key to that is dupont is he the best player in the world right now do you reckon he is insane
3: oh, seriously just just to back up the season that he had last year world player of the year you know subconsciously you could relax a little bit in a situation like that getting all the accolades and you know maybe have a little bit of a, a slump even the, the the added pressure of having the captaincy you know there was a part of me that thought captain a player that plays with such freedom he's he's not probably not that suited to, to do the captaincy role but took it all in the stride continued to perform he performs at club level he performs at international level um and he just backs up great performances week in week out so um he is he's world class
1: just before we let you go, Dan, we've got a bit of a quick fire round from our uh, producer. Just wanted to go through a few things, which I'm sure you've answered at a million dinners <laughs> doing speaking engagements, etc. But you know, the world would want to know um, best play you've ever played alongside
3: Richie McCaw.
1: That, that was yes. pretty easy. It's, guess, it's,
3: yeah. Oh <laughs> man. yeah, uh, his uh, his actions um, was some of the best leadership that I've ever seen. It would just inspire you. Been right next to him and seen it firsthand. Okay, right, I want to do the same
1: best player you've ever
3: played against um oh so many it's it's hard to 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 pinpoint one it was early in my career probably because i just held him in such high regard i had huge amount of respect for him it was johnny wilkinson he was an absolute student of the game and he it was a wild windy test match down in wellington i was on the bench and i hadn't played a test match for the all black and he just took that game and as a 10 that wants to control a game I've never seen anything like it and I got the the best seats in the house on the bench and as part of me was going man um do I really want to get on here because he's just completely <laughs> dominating this this game um, thankfully I didn't and played my test debut the following week which was um, a much better game to to remember but just I remember sitting there going this is if I ever do play 10 or ballplay, because I was playing 12 a lot then, this is how you need to control a game. So I had a huge amount of
1: respect for him and love playing against him. That's amazing. Um, best team you've ever played with, in, in? The best team? The best team you've been in.
3: Oh, far out. that's, a, that's another tough one. I My mind automatically goes back to the 2015 team. Um, to create history, probably more so for me because it was such... A special moment to finish my All Black career on on such a high, helping the team win back to back uh, World Cups, first All Black team to win um, a World Cup outside of New Zealand. It was a pretty special and unique team. And the fact that seven guys had played 100 test matches, close to 100 test matches, all finished some good mates of mine on that night as well. um, Yeah, I would mainly go back to that 2015 team. And best team you ever played against? Uh, Springboks, they were quite dominant around, obviously they won in 2007, the World Cup 2009. There was a real lose Bulls style to their play back then. They were dominating the Super Rugby level as well, the, the Bulls back then um and south african rugby was at such a force it was brutal every time you'd play against <laughs> the box you knew that you're going to be sore until wednesday or thursday it's like i had a, a target on me the matfield he's both the Piers psps they were just they were big athletic human beings and they were you know really dominant in, in that time
1: if psps was a stud <laughs> that guy was just like otherworldly athletic yeah big unit pull yeah, the one hand
3: out of the back of the scrum and just come his eyes would light up at a little number 10 like myself and i was like oh, okay here we go
1: <laughs> awesome hey well thanks so much for your time dan all the best on thursday for the kickathon for a dc10 fund with unicef we really appreciate appreciate your time and all the best for the future
3: thanks guys i uh, really appreciate uh, your support and obviously sky sport for um, for covering the event as well it's uh, exciting i should probably not sure, whether to go get some sleep or go down to the train that I can do. Um, you know, a few final touches of kicking some goals, but um, all the support is, is really appreciated. No problem.
1: Or oh, you can go read those leather bound books in the background there. You and Ron Burgundy, <laughs> yeah, I've done my own books
3: actually. I published uh, last year, I just sit down and read uh, about myself pretty much. So. <laughs> if you're up to something to put yourself to sleep, then uh, I know a pretty good book, and it's, it's my one.
2: <laughs> go well, Dizzy, mate. Awesome, mate. Thank you. Cheers, guys.
1: So now that the goat's gone, we're going to bring back our usual man, Bryn Hall. Of course, Bryn's probably won more Super Rugby titles, jipper than than Dan Carter along the way. So, you know, he's he's got his accolades.
2: He's won more titles than most of the greats. (laughs) Maybe we could consider you a great. One of the great line-out throwers, maybe? Uh, Oh, I don't
1: don't think
4: so. I don't think so, guys. I think the fact of um, how many kind of awards and everything he's got, mate. I'm just a humble guy that was unfortunate to miss the interview. Would have been a great interview, so you boys would have asked some good questions.
2: But you can watch it Tuesday night.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, Tuesday
2: night. Or you on
1: YouTube it. anytime you like. Uh, um, just go to the Rugby Podcast on <laughs> YouTube. <page. laughs> Um, but let's and actually st-
4: Spotify, don't, don't, don't forget Spotify no, Don't forget no. Spotify Ross
1: Listen on Spotify, absolutely yeah, yeah. So if, you, if you've missed it, you can catch it everywhere Chances are Brynner's watching it at the same time as you <laughs> <laughs> <A> Concurrent stream <laughs> um, yeah. Have you got a, a bone to pick with Brynner about his lineout technique?
2: Oh, you know, well maybe not Brenner. Maybe the line-out caller The double slip to the front could have been a good option <laughs> Not to the middle of the line-out To throw over a, a, over a Highlander um, but I made a little bit of a joke on um, Insta, and I tell you what, it fell flat. I said I taught you well, and then about a million people messaged me going, do you realise he lost the line-out? I was like, yeah, that was a joke, but, mate, you got some work <laughs> on, so you got some work on, so you may have you may have five titles under your belt, but uh, line-out throwing is not in your future.
4: Sadly, it's not, Jip. You'd think all the time that we spent together <laughs> um, we would have been able to throw a dart, you know, but um, that was really, really funny, that scenario, actually, like, um, we... I obviously Cody Taylor had been sent off but I just had no idea that I was going to be able to um, to do the line out. We'd actually talked about like what if moments if our hookers went on. Us nines were going to be the people that were going to throw it in but uh, we talked about it a little bit around what it looked like but I tell you what Joe, I give you forwards I will never ever talk badly about a line out throw because Scott Barrett just confused the hell out of me to be honest <laughs> that whole time. So it was a double slip with a look at the front and then get it up and then make sure you look at your eyes and I was just Dallas McLeod was actually uh, our ball boy. And I've just gone to him and I've just looked, hell, here we go, boy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, definitely... And, and, um,
4: carry on. And sorry, I'll, I'll finish up. And thank God, um, Zach Gallagher on his debut made a nice hardball get to be able to get the ball back because, yeah, if they went 80 metres, um, I could imagine that, yeah, I'd probably be saying that guy, if he had that, that through the ball, lost us the game.
2: <laughs> it's always the hooker that gets blamed, mate. Get used to that.
1: <laughs> yeah before we carry on what the hell is a slip and a double slip I mean, Bryn oh. learnt on, on the weekend but uh, what about the rest of us uh,
2: I think the easiest way to explain it is when you see bodies leaving the line out to create space for others to move into or move back to that's a slip that's a slip and you can be a slip forward or a slip back
1: right right and so as far as you're concerned Brenner, how did this play out you saw that Cody was off yeah this is for people who, who didn't catch it on the weekend Crusaders Highlanders which you guys went on to win that game but towards the end of the game, you're without a hooker. And what happens from there? How does it play out?
4: Well, ideally, it would have been come with the hour, come with the man. But obviously, I wasn't <laughs> the man to do it. Um, but, um, no, nah, so yeah, Cody got sent off and then no, uh, I was actually sent off. running. To... Sorry, not Cody. Apologies. Co- Cody this couldn't come back gonna, on because he'd been substituted. Yeah. Yeah, so that's going to flow into my story. Um, Charlotte had been sent off and then. I'm running towards the to the line out, not knowing anything. Then Cody's on the sideline, just screaming at me with a few nice uh, nice words. Well, what I say, um, that I was going to be that I was going to be thrown in the ball, sorted out, and make sure you know what you're doing. And I was like, rightio. And so I had about I had about 10, 15 seconds to try and get myself together. And then um, yeah, Scooter went through that option, and um, unfortunately, I just I just couldn't throw it. I think I threw it to his to his hips. If it, if it actually ended up being a good throw, it would have just been thrown straight to his hips. So. Don't um, worry mate, thankfully, forwards thankfully.
2: and hookers thankfully, demand, that was there, right? demand about 300 reps a week, so the fact that you had to have a do it in 15 <laughs> seconds with no practice, you did alright.
1: I would imagine that that would have been a Sorry, real shit. shocker if you Sorry. had a court session, like that would have been an absolute <laughs> oh. night ender at a court session.
4: Oh, probably will be Probably will be Ross But if you actually get a I think the legend of Marty Banks He actually did a um, Did a photo And I think Jip You sent it through On our WhatsApp How nervous did I look <laughs> I don't know I thought I looked quite confident Over the ball But right. geez, I looked nervous And in 1980s Like Foot out And then been a, a big log throw for Manaki Seven so record to see it easily mate
2: yeah. the, the amount of halfbacks over my years that said to me oh it's not even that hard but when you get under those bright lights and you've got to put it on the on the money <laughs> she's a lot harder than you think
1: <laughs> were you happy with the technique the foot placement the,
2: uh, no it was, placement? it was dreadful that's yeah. why I went straight onto the, the post of <laughs> Legend of Marty Banks and, and thought I'd be facetious but as I said it fell flat <laughs> with a few customers
1: Just. <laughs> Despite that, but let's talk a little bit about that game. Let's stop giving you crap for, how long was that, about 10 minutes?
2: That <laughs> He's had a tough start to the show. <laughs> Desi was into really him, is. now we're into him. It is pretty tough. Oh. <laughs> but you guys, uh, you
1: got the win against the Highlanders team that is now, what, 6-0? and um, Or 0-6. Are they as bad as it seems? Or are they a side that's almost there?
4: Oh, look, I think they're there or thereabouts. And look, um, they're probably walking away from that from that game thinking that it's the one that got away. Um, you know, if we look at the second half stats, man, it was just, to be honest, um, all we did in that second half was really tackle. Um, because, you know, due to the fact of our of areas our, of our whether it be with our line out or just not getting the right knock-ons, jackals, penalties, we had um, 11 opportunities in that second half that we... We made mistakes and then the Highlanders were able to pounce on that and been able to put us under a lot of pressure and, and thankfully, um, you know, our probably our scramble defence came in the, came in a really good time. You know, there were a lot of breaks through Fanal but when he came on, who I thought was, was outstanding in his um, with his when he came on, being able to really rip us around that hard defence. But um, to be honest, the, the, the probably the crucial moments were Sevi Reese's steals in those second halves, I think. Um, crucial times in those in those halves, he was able to get um, steals. And you know, Will Jordan the week before now back through got three steals, and then several rest on the week and had three turnovers as well. So um, we're getting a lot of gains out of our turnover game, especially defensively. Um, it's been a big it's been a big work on through us with Tams this year. Uh, last year we didn't get a lot of turnovers in, whether that be with the Jackals or hunting or going through and flooding through. Uh, but this year we seem to be able to get a lot of pay out of our turnovers. And to be honest, um, in crucial moments uh, defensively those kind of moments of winning us games, especially on the weekend.
1: Falau, I think we've been waiting for him to bust open a game like that for a little while, haven't we?
2: Yeah, well, he's done it for a number of years, I suppose, with with the Magpies, and we saw it in patches last season. Um, but let's not underestimate the injuries come back from. It, it is seriously challenging, and not to bring in NRL, but um, you <laughs> know, the, the great Joey Johns um, made a um, comment the other day around ACLs and when he had his, he just never felt comfortable to step again, or you second-guessed everything when you do a knee. I've never done a knee, um, so I wouldn't know what it's like. But I just thought, um, you know, to see him play the way he did, as in Flower the other night, um, was pretty special. Um, even though um, at times the old the old pest that is Ethan Blackett it was smothering him, um, he got a few wins as well.
1: Yeah, Ethan was on fire again on the weekend, wasn't he?
2: Oh, he was my player of the round. I just thought, um, you know, I think it was 24 tackles. Um, You know, there was a lot of... um, It was a tough form 15 to pick, but, man, if it wasn't him just hitting back and forth into a ruck to try and disrupt a box box kick from the Highlanders, he's sprinting back to, you know, run an escort line, he's making, you know, a number of tackles back-to-back. He just... He's just one of those players that you can't take... Almost like the because of his hair or something, you've just always seen him involved in play, Um, you know, and and I just think that loose forward trio is going to be seriously hard to pick, or the six loose forwards they go with in that all-black side. Mm.
1: Even the loose forward trio in the Crusaders side, I mean, wow, the commitment, um, you know, that you see every weekend from Blackadder and Christie and those guys, like it is... Yeah, and then Mateta
2: is there as well, and, and Cullen Grace is starting to come back into some form, so... Um, a, a healthy problem to have because it is probably the point of difference in a lot of these um, derbies at the moment is, is that breakdown and the ability to get those crucial steals, although we're seeing most of it coming from uh, the back three of the Crusaders and Will Jordan <laughs> and <Sever laughs> Reese. Um, you know, you know, Tom Christie and co are getting plenty as well.
1: Although Christie got hammered by a Frizzell at one point. <laughs> that was, that guy at well, the moment, wow.
2: He was... He was um, another like the 6th position was really hard to pick in the form of for thing, because I thought Bo went really well and Shannon Frizzell he's in mm. um, seriously good form so um, yeah it's, it's been challenging who, who would be a selector
1: yeah that's pretty difficult well maybe we should jump straight into our dream team before we look at these other games then since we're already talking about yeah, my, it at the moment.
2: my apologies <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: let's, let's just go there let's flip it over we'll go to uh, Brynner's first Brenner what is the big change to this week to your dream team now just remember before we go there the dream team you can get on rugbypass.com it is your chance to go and have a look at all of the different players, choose your players week by week. You can then earn the chance to win a subscription to Rugby Pass by being almost bang on the money with what everyone else thinks. And at the end of the season, if you're the most consistent selector alongside everybody who's done it, then you unfortunately will come on the show.
2: Stop, stop playing it down, mate. <laughs> it's a real treat. <laughs>
1: it's massive. It's massive. So with that said, Brynna, um, you mate, tell me what's
4: going on. Yeah, it was really tough to to pick pick a form fifteen this week. I think, especially in the loose forward trio, so I'll be interested to see um, who you go with in there. But to start things off, I've gone Fletcher. He it was was great for us on the weekend. Um, a really good timely turnover and was really robust and busy. And um, it's in his first start well, second start for the end. And upon Cody Eklund, he can't go past a hat trick. I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the first time it's been a hat trick from a, a Blues forward since Mark Carter.
2: Yeah, I think in ninety six since since ninety six.
4: Yeah, ninety six.
2: And they both wore the head yep, tape. So, must be something in it. Yeah.
0: It's
2: where I went wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's where I, I went, went wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway.
4: <laughs> um, and then I've and then I've gone um, Joe Moody, who I thought was good on the weekend. I actually had Angus Tut of our phone around there as well, but I've gone Joe Moody with how dominant our, our scrum was on the weekend. Um, then I've gone Tucker, Scott Barrett at five. I mean Ethan Blackcatter at six. Man, it was really hard not to be able to have Shannon Frizzell in that team because um, look, he's been immense the last couple of weeks, and I know the Highlanders haven't been getting their results, but he's been a massive person that's been um, playing consistently and at a high level. Um, and then I've gone Sam Kane; he was man, a, a man possessed uh, on the weekend. And um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people with Papa Lee, the likes of Tom Christie, and even then, Ardy, you can switch through as well. Um, it's hotly contested uh, seven at the moment. I've got Artie Severe on the weekend, Peter Gus. He's a mention. I've got Aaron Smith, a close fucker. I was wanting to put him on, but I thought Aaron Smith and the way he probably set up that first part of the game with his box kicks and his ability to be able to game manage was really good. I've uh, got Joshuaani at ten, who I thought played well for the Chiefs. I've gone David Havili and leonard Brown in the midfield. I wanted to put um, I wanted to put Caleb Club on the left wing, but for the fact of that red card and probably getting Sinbin, um, it probably just hold and held him off. And so I put Lister flying Anuku. I know he's played centre. But I needed to put him on the park, and I think the way that he's playing at the centre, he's going to be a guy that we're going to talk about um, when they're all blacks, um, being in that possibility in that team. Got a severe Reese for his breakdown work that I talked about, and I actually went Narawa at fullback to finish off, um, who I thought was impressive for the Chiefs on the weekend.
2: Not far, you know, not too far away. To be fair, uh, I, I went Moody at one, Eklund at two as well. I, I went with Gus Tarvel at. Um, Tight head, yep. I just thought the way he scrummed um, on the weekend and then his usual work rate, he is a level above most tight heads in terms of the work rate and, and his ability to get around the track. But when he scrums like that, he becomes a real force. So I, I thought it was one of his best games of the season. I went with the McFunnell Lord combo because he, he went off early, um, McFunnell, but he was into everything, man. He was doing back to back efforts, left, right, and centre. And I thought Lord carried that on. Jed Holloway from the Waratahs, uh, you know, he's been chipping away for a while, and he got a he got a little meat pie on the weekend, and the Waratahs really hit their straps. You know, not only was his meat pie, he put a nice little ball in behind that set up Hooper's try, so I, I thought he was solid. I uh, went for the exact same loose forward trio, and, and I will um, second your comments on Sam Kane. I mean, some of his defensive hits, whew, he, he just looks Cheers. a man possessed at the moment, and, and a man just loving being out on the field. Um, I went Aaron Smith as well because I thought his kicking game set that up. He, they really challenge you in that test sure. kicking game and um, forcing you guys into errors there. Joshuani at ten could have put Gats. I think he was really clutch and um, bringing that ho- game home. But um, you know, and Stevie P as well had two two solid performances. But Josh got the nod just because he was sharp. Corey Evans twelve for the Blues. Um, you know, on on sort of starting debut. Uh, new to the scene, I thought he was um, pretty formidable in that second five um, spot, and I'm looking forward to him uh, maybe potentially getting more runs um, you know, against some of the New Zealand oppositions. ALB at 13, uh, Wes Hooson at 11, uh, Sever Rees at, at 14, and James O'Connor at 15. Uh, I know he played at ten, but he controlled that game really well against the the Brumbies, who hadn't lost before the weekend. You got to make it fit. Got to make him fit, and mate. that means changing the rules sometimes. Big, big O'Connor fan. He's been in my team most weeks, but um, yeah, he's playing good footy. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> the person who came closest this week and will be winning the prize is Thomas Cassie. So congratulations, Thomas. I wrote down two S's. I hope it's not Thomas Casey. But I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's Thomas
0: Cassie. you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: now look on the weekend i suppose the big talking point was the red and the yellow cards we had four reds four yellows if the refs were at the oscars will smith would have walked off stage and straight into the uh changing rooms we (laughs) wouldn't have seen him again um Caleb Clark was the big one that everyone was talking about. You know, he went up, he got the leg that caught Tomasi Anosio. Um, it was a legitimate attempt, but seen as a reckless action because of the way that he then went and hit a player in the head who then found himself going off for an HIV, um, you know, a concussion check. So what do we make of the way that played out? Are you happy with the red card
2: and how that was? Yeah, look, I, I think it's fair. And I think it's fair on the basis that um, the refs have to start at red when there's an you know, impact with the head. Um, and it's probably a little bit biased coming from a guy had to leave the game because of concussion and you know, still have my challenges to today. Um, and Caleb made the choice to charge by leaping. So he's put himself in a, um, a reckless <clears throat> position that he, ca- he can no longer move. But it's it's a no fault of the player that Chip and Chases. And I think the difference is a lot of people have said, Oh, what about the collision in the air? Well that's a total different part of the game where both players are making the decision and, and there's responsibilities. Here is just a charge down and Caleb was the one that jumped in the air and um, you know, it was it was reckless and there were no mitica- mitigating circumstances. So in terms of the refs, you know, framework that they have to work through, they they had no choice. And and yeah. if and if these aren't reds, um, at at what point do we change behaviours to get, you know, we constantly talk about concussion, we constantly talk about um, you know, player safety and that, if if we don't see these red cards or yellow cards, um, how are we going to change the players behaviours to make sure that our game's safer?
1: How then, Bryn, could Caleb be technically more proficient in order to not get the red card considering, you know, he went up for a a proper charge down, it wasn't a fake one it's, it's it, definitely
2: it, unlucky like
1: unlucky how could he do that better yeah and and not cop the guy and then cop the red
4: i think that's a pretty good point that jip brings up He's just it's really unlucky like you wanting to charge down the ball and being able to that's what you do so like I, under, I understand obviously when two guys are going for the ball it's a little bit different but in that kind of scenario there he's put himself in a, in a situation which is a lot of the when it come into these red cards it's the player's um ability to be able to be accountable for what the actions are, what they're doing. And so that kind of example with Caleb, like, you can say it, it, it is really unlucky, but, um, you know, there's so many things that happen in rugby that, you know, that just is, is so natural. It's, it, it, there's little things in games that just keep continuing to happen that you just – that just that just plays. So um, I don't think, to be honest, Jip, you could probably feel a little bit different here, but I just don't think Caleb could have done too much more around that. It's kind of – he's could... going for a charge down and – but yeah, that's how, yeah, it's how, a really tough
2: one. How realistic was the charge? And you know, the distance away from the player, like you'd have to really slow it mm. down and work through. Um, but but I think where the difference will be is is you know, Caleb's not an intentional bloke. He's not. He doesn't have that malice in his game. So then it's when it gets to the judicial, um, I suppose, hearing. Then you won't see like you know five <coughs> weeks or something. The red card may be seen as sufficient, and he plays the next week. But it's a it's like a warning, like, you know, you've got to make better decisions so that you're not taking other players out. Um, So I think that's where you'll see the differentiation, because a lot of people are like, oh, there's some vicious ones, and then there's harmless ones like that, but both of them end in reds. But where they get extended is obviously the weeks that they may miss the games afterwards.
4: But what I, sorry, just before we go on from that, Ross, I think it is really important that, the refs are being consistent when it has come to the head. So even if it's from the shoulder or it's a swinging arm to the head, I mean, that's your impact that you're having. Um, it's a red card. So the fact that, like, you know, you might think it's really unlucky and it's probably not a common red card that you would see, the fact that the hip has gone straight to their head and, you know, he's probably, our Long's come off second best on that as well. And the fact that they've been consistent with their messaging around taking care of the head and playing safety. Um, and seeing a red card, you know, I think it's it's, it's, it's a good call and it was, it was the right call. And you even hear the commentators as well. They were very, very clear around then. so I think it is changing around, you know, the perception of, of red card offence to the head now. Whereas I probably think, you know, two, three years ago, you might be thinking, oh, like, what's he supposed to do there? What's he supposed to do there? Like, he can't move. But I think now with the kind of messaging that the refs have been given to us, especially even us as players, we've got a really good understanding that, you know, if you're going anywhere near the head, whether it be a shoulder, which it commonly is, shoulder or swinging arm, it is a red card. But even on the weekend, you know, if that happened to me or a guy on our team, and we knew that there was some force going towards the head, whatever body part it is, um, then we know that it's going to be a red card.
2: I think the best example on the weekend of mitigating circumstances, if you watch the uh, Reds Brumbies game, the Reds blindside just absolutely flies in and takes Slipper's head out, basically shoulder directly to the head. He's red carded. Not too long after, Rob Valentini was done with a sidestep and um, I think it was McDermott ducked, but he still copped him with a swinging arm to the head, but he was yellow-catted, because it was started at red with the head contact, mitigating circumstances were there, clear and evident, so it brought it down to a yellow. And I think that's where you can see the framework working pretty clearly, and it actually makes it a lot easier for the refs to just make decisions. Um,
1: As far as the players' decision-making, I think the most interesting part of this is we're seeing multiple kinds of red cards for connection to the head. So, you know, when we were talking a couple of years ago, and I think this has improved markedly, so it could be a good example of, of the time frame that it takes to fix one of these things. A couple of years ago, we were talking about people falling out of the air from, you know, challenges yeah. under the high ball. We're not really seeing that anymore, but it took years mm. for, that, for everyone to adapt to that. So we weren't seeing one every single game. But in this case, it's quite a different scenario because the contact of the head is happening as a player in the case of um, Nepal Lalala is being taken out around a ruck. Another time, there's a player falling into a tackle. Another time, there's a guy trying to charge down the ball. It's really hard to learn everyone's lessons across so many elements that could get a knock to the head that it feels like it, this is going to be something that's not going anywhere really quickly.
2: No, but it doesn't mean that we should give up on it because no. of the um, detrimental nature to our game and, and individuals that are out on the field. So uh, I think it may take some time, but the more regular, uh, I just think as a player, and Bryn, you know, you'll know, you be able to talk to us as well, the more regularly you see any contact ahead, you will be red-carded, you'll start making better decisions. And I think the clean-out is the biggest one. You know, you mentioned Nepo, um, I mentioned the blind side from the Reds, sorry, I don't know his name, but uh, that that was a clear um, decision to just go in and go hard, and that's probably been accepted in the past, but now that players are seeing Reds, I think you will see an adjustment in those, um, you know, I suppose those later cleans. Mm.
4: And and some of them Just mis- on that, Jip. Sorry, just on that, as players now, like... Um, we talk about it in, in our squad with our coaches or whether it be um, leaders in our team talking around like if you put yourself in a position like let's take let's take what let's take a side um Catal Clark's example, which you know might happen in the future, but you know, Nepal Lala and Charlotte Klein and swinging arms that are coming towards the head. You know now as a player that if you're gonna put yourself in that position with bad technique, then you're gonna be able to you're gonna force probably a red card. So, you know, trying to get the technique right and understanding your tackle technique and doing that to the best of your ability. But subconsciously as well, we even think about it as well. It's like, if we get ourselves in a position that's like, oh man, I'm going to do a swinging army or go in the velocity, you better make sure that your technique's right. So, us as players, we feel that, um, especially in, well, in the Crusaders, we find that, we've, um, that it's been delivered, the messages have been delivered by the coaches, but then it's on us as players then be able to try and rectify that through technique or understanding and really, yeah, I guess understanding what kind of tackle type or tackle selection we're going to have that week or whatever the team we're playing.
1: Now, we watched that game with the Blues against MP, you know, a few days after what was a much closer game. It was a bit of a blowout. It's a really tough time for Moana Pacifica right now. Like They're about to go into another couple of quick turnaround games. Three games in eight days at this level is hard yakka.
2: Yeah, it is, but what I love about Mono um, Pacifico is um, that you speak to them, and I, I did the Tuesday game, um, and they're just they're zoned in. Um, that you can see they've created so much meaning in their environment that they're doing something for something greater than themselves, and, and they are energised by that, and they are hungry to um, you know, you know, bring joy. To their supporters and that's a big focus is, is their fans and, and their community um, and, and I, I think you can see that in the way they play like I know it was a bit of a blowout the next one but they still do it with excitement and energy to the last minute and, and that's what um, you know is is going to hold them in good stead because I see them as the uncoachable things so the ticker and um, you know the, the willingness to go to the 80th minute every time no matter the scoreboard they're uncoachable. They'll get better as they go along, um, and I think now that they've had that victory against the Hurricanes, they they know they can do it. There is no what ifs anymore. They know they can do it if they can string uh, performance together. And 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 I still don't think they have around that discipline and um, you know turnover rates and and you know set piece issues. So when they do, you know, sort of get all that together with their passion and their meaning they have in their environment, um, I, I think look out because they've also faced two battles of COVID. Mm. As well, you know earlier and then you know later as well, so their, their squad depth is being tested, but the their players are standing up, I believe
1: yeah, but it's hard, Brendan, in that situation where you 're playing that many games in that many days or what they can have another four day turnaround in a couple of days' time um, after the game this weekend it's it's difficult, no matter how good your culture is, no matter how much you're playing for, this is a slog and in two and a half weeks to play five games you're not going to be you know on the up at the end of that are you it's going to be hard
4: no look, look it's not ideal it's not ideal uh, ross but i think you know if you would have said at the start of the year you know these guys want to have the opportunity to be able to play rugby and sometimes we've even alluded to it last week that the preparation side is not great and sometimes it is tough to back it up but you get an opportunity to be able to go out and be able to just um, rectify things that you want to do so I can imagine these short week turnarounds that they've had, it's pretty much would be just based around what they need to be able to fix and what they need to do with a little bit of preview around their opponents. And look, honestly, that game was in the balance, you know, it was 17 13, heading into almost into half time, and then, you know, the Blues ended up scoring just for half time and then um, a bit of um, their line out drive, being able to kind of, you know, I guess win the game with E scoring um, three tries off, off line out ball. But, the thing that I just I've been enjoying about Mona Pacifica is the fact that they um, they're playing for the for their for their people and they're playing for a bigger purpose, like you said, Chip. And you can see it with the way they're playing. You know, whether they're under the when they're under pressure, and you can see the momentum's changing. You can see them cheering each other up and being able to pat on the backs and being able to bring that kind of expression and enthusiasm that they have with that group. Because look, a lot of it is a lot of young players that haven't been proven at this level. But you know, we said that the Chiefs a couple of years ago when they weren't, you know, they were zero and eight and they were trying to uh, bring in new guys that had hadn't experienced Super Rugby, and now you look back in their, in their time now to the present day, you know, that, those two years of being able to work hard and being able to give those guys opportunities to be able to, what it is at this level, it's only going to be beneficial in the long term. So I know as players, though, you know, and probably the expectation being in the Super Rugby all as well, um, conference for this first part of the year, it's a really hard learning curve. But like Jip said, they've got that win and they have that belief that they can do it. But they just need to be able to rectify a few things, whether it be you know their discipline or set-piece in certain times and then winning moments and winning them a lot of moments like they did um, in their Hurricanes game in the last minute, winning their game with Danny Tuila.
1: The Chiefs, they, they got away with it, but the Hurricanes came back strong in the end. They It was out of reach, but what did you make of that game?
2: Yeah, look, look I think it's the story of the Canes. They just don't go away. Um, but I know, knowing their leadership group and their players, they'll be... Um, frustrated by that, because they've seen what they can deliver in patches. Um, but the Chiefs, uh, I think Brad Webber nailed it, uh, and I don't know if you saw the aftermatch speech, but he goes, that was a young Chiefs side that finished that um, game, and, and I, I sort of thought, oh, what does he mean by that? But then I went back and looked, and I was like, yeah, it was, it was pretty light on, on experience, maybe Sam Kane out there, Bryn Gatz, um, but outside of that, you know, it was, it was pretty raw. So I think they'll, to get an away win is a, is a, is a great start, but there were a couple of things in the game that I liked, um, and it sort of happened in your game as well, Brennan, and we've seen a shift in the defence of nines, and I don't know if it's the same in the Crusaders, but we saw it in the Six Nations with DuPont. Um, I think we saw it um, with Nick White with the Wallabies. Uh, no, um, Faf de Klerk, uh, when um, Karevi scored down that right-hand side in the Rugby Championship. Lester Fayanuku went through um, Aaron Smith, who was a little bit wider out, and, and it almost was like he picked on him, and uh, you know he's a big body. So, and then you're starting to see this, um, you know, the shooter Finlay Christie does it, and TJ Perenara on the weekend, you know, flying out, and you sort of saw it in patches on the end tour by the All Blacks, spe- specifically by those two guys. Um, is there a shift defensively? I, I just wanted to get your take on it, Bryn, As a nine, is there a shift? in defensive systems from that nine covering that kick space or slipping in closer to the right?
4: Um, yeah, it is. I think it's uh, it's week to week, really. And I think um, it's been a couple of years, probably. TJ, TJ and the Hurricanes have done have done it a lot. I think you know with the line speed pressure that they bring Chip, Um TJ and even obviously Finlay, Chrissy does it as well. And then I think as well it's been able to marry up and get that balance right. You know, you look at probably Brad Webb and the way he defends I said he's slipping in the line quite a lot, kind of close to the ruck to be able to give that insurance on the outside to then be able to bring pressure out. But then, you know, you look at some other teams, you know, for ourselves, you know, some weeks we might actually hold our nine a little bit more to be able to help out on that short side for our for our big boys. So um, I think it is, it's ever evolving, I think, Jip, and some teams are having different, um, I, guess, yeah, I guess, shapes or setups for their defensive structures of how best to be able to use the nine. Um, so I think moving forward, it might be a good opportunity to see, um, you know, there might be actually teams that have been able to nullify that and seeing that, you know, if if you've got a nine that's flying like TJ did off the, off the weekend, and that's a trend that you're seeing, you know, then the kick space in behind of of 10 being able to get into that space because you've got two guys that are deep, um, covering that backfield space, especially on fifty twenty two 22 opportunities. So, um, I'd have, I have looked at a lot of the nines, especially in New Zealand, there are different types of strengths and different types of, um, structures that nines are having. So I think, um, there are ways that you can try and nullify that but I think for um, for whatever the teams are deciding um, they're just trying to use their nine in different ways to be able to put teams under pressure.
2: Okay then, I'll take it back to the preview. Was that just by chance Nuggy was there or had you guys seen that or did Lester just read that on the on the, on the the fly?
4: There was no common real common pitches for us seeing that actually when we played the Highlanders uh, but then actually it was really good from David Harvilli in that moment um, identifying you know, because a lot of teams are running that kind of hitting the 12 wide off the a, off a wall. Um, a lot of New Zealand, if you look at our viewers, you go watch any team at the moment off line-out strikes. Everybody's hitting their 12 with being able to get manip- manipulation animation off the 12. But Davey actually saw that Nuggy was defending um, on Leicester or in that kind of area. So uh, we had a had a default move that we were going to go to, but heads-up play from Davey and Leicester seeing that Aaron was there. And then um, obviously Leicester went straight through there. So to answer your question, there was no preview around us seeing that. I think it was just more of a heads up playing. Great work from Davey and um, Leicester to recognise that obviously Aaron was in the line and is a little bit smaller than Leicester, so probably better off one on one with that um, opportunity.
2: Outstanding game, Corey Evans, but David Harvey just goes into the Form 15. That's outstanding.
4: <laughs>
2: it's, it's good to know, though, because you, you, you're watching that on, on screen and, and you almost think, like, well, I, I initially thought, oh, they've previewed that. Um, but to, to know that that sort of stuff's decided on the fly, it does show the. the I mean, why David Havaleigh gets so many raps internally from the Crusaders?
1: Mm. There was some stuff that went on, on the weekend yeah. from him as well where you just had those <clears> little <throat> moments. I think it was a chip and chase in traffic and regather yeah. that went and then set up that try. And you were just like, how on earth did he get that from his foot over the top and regather with four dudes around him all at once? It was What is this guy on? It's almost
2: like he just believes. Well,
4: the, the biggest thing that I've... Um, that I really enjoyed about Dave and it's probably his, his biggest strength that he especially brings in, in our environment. It's his it's his or it's his assisting of other players and being able to make them look good. And so I'd hate to see actually what his tri count is for there. I think probably in his last two games, he's been a massive, uh, massive for us around setting guys up or scoring himself. So um, it's a massive strength that Dave has and look, we're hoping that he continue to be able to do that. And so um, it really, it does really help us an inside back as well and our outsides. And when you've got a guy like that, that can make decisions um, on the go then being able to let um, being able to make other players look better which most which is a really really important trade to have as a, as a 12
1: I feel like hookers should be able to get a try assist on line out drives these days you know if you don't get that, that line out throw in you're not getting yeah. yourself a hat trick are you? is oh. that something that's been missing from the stats
2: tell you what there was, there's I, I seriously reckon if there's a tip to give you'd have to multi up two hookers you know like if you look at this weekend's game, you'd have to think the Brumbies and potentially the Crusaders hookers could get over, and if you multi them up, you could get good payback. But anyway, sorry, that's another chat <laughs> that's a big for tip. another day.
1: <laughs> that's a big tip for the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, so the other thing about the Hurricanes' Chiefs is we digress. Yeah, um, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Geordie Barrett, uh, second 5'8". There's been a lot of chat with him. That was his position as a young player. Then he moved back to fullback, said that, no, I am a fullback. Now he's playing at 12, and there was a lot of excitement because what's in the All Blacks midfield right now was a little bit unsure. We've seen a lot of chopping and changing, a lot of different quality players and different combinations. Did you like what you saw from Geordie Barrett?
2: Yeah, what, what I liked about him was, uh, I suppose, the simplicity of decision-making. Like, when he goes hard, he goes hard. He only goes direct. And then, you know, probably one time it didn't come off is when he ran into Sam Kane. but outside of that, he still gets good recycled ball, Um, and he runs he does run a good sort of inside line um, you know weak shoulder which would be if you were defending me he runs on that down line that Bryn talks about to get a weak shoulder to be able to bring his offload game and and I suppose that's probably what he's likened to and has the ability to get to is that Sonny Bill Williams offload link game Um, if he could then marry it up with what we're talking about with um, Davey Um, You know, he could be definitely the complete package in time, but I still think he's got a hell of a lot to offer at 15. Like, man, when he's got time and space and he comes injecting himself into a line, um, he's still very, very um, exciting to watch there. But there's definitely room for him to, you know, move there or get opportunity there at the next level. (laughs) He's a
1: bloodthirsty character. He likes that hard.
2: He does, but then he he has that delicate touch. Did you see that offload down... You know, and he just subtly goes in between two bodies and just plants a beautiful offload for Wes Hooson, who nearly chipped and chased and scored. Mm. Like mm. he has the direct, but you know that's what I was saying—the simplicity in his decision making. He he's really sharp, um, and and it's and it's instinctive. It's not pre-planned. A lot of the stuff it doesn't look that way anyway. Is
1: that where you'd like to see him in the future, yeah. Brent?
4: Oh, it's just tough because I tell you what—he wasn't bad at fullback last year. <laughs> yeah. um, so. Um, well, I guess that's the strength that Geordie has. I think the ability that um, you know, he had a great year last year playing fifteen and we know how tough he is defensively, you know, if you're a oh, there's so many times that I've seen him coming as that cover tackle and just snotting guys. I think I think of Lester Fire and the first time we played him, um, down that sideline um, defensively, he's tough oh, and then yeah. his kicking game is, is is unbelievable, whether it be through a contest war or his long boot to be able to get you out of there out of their dead ball line or the 22. You know, he's a massive part of their kick structure at the, at the Hurricanes when he's at 15. So, um, But I think if he does go to 12, I think it's important, if you think around the World Cup, and if that, if that's the position that he wants to go in. And it's pretty important that probably the next, you know, probably say for the duration of the season, you want to have him at 12. Um, because if he if has the ambition to be able to, want to be able to play 12, then he's got to be able to get the kind of little nuances and the stuff that we're talking about with Davey with time and saddle and being able to understand Defensive pressure, under, defensive under pressure when you're under pressure as an attacker, but then also little subtle things of seeing what's in front of you because it does take a little bit of time from going to 15 and seeing those pitches consecutive, um, consistently every single day and knowing where you need to be and what's in front of you, to then being able to be in there as a 12 and then being able to see it, 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 the game's a little bit different around what you're needing, you know, helping out your 10 or marshaling or a, bit, a little bit more game management around your forward shape and being able to get them set and seeing space in and around that hard defense or just the outside. You know to the big boys five or six defenders from the rack. so um, I just think it does take time but look he's got all the attributes I'll give you the tips so but he hasn't been that bad at fullback he was probably one of the best New Zealand all-black players last year playing at fullback so um, he's a pretty, pretty blessed around having that kid playing.
1: Carrying on with this game and moving to the other team you mentioned Bryn Gatlin before as, as a closer and, and what he brought that 50-22 was a
2: huge moment in that game. That's so why he's nicknamed Clutch yeah he just goes for it <laughs> he was all in the chips were all in but um man it was that was telling and and it put them in you know such a strong position to finish that game out and it was off the back of a turnover I think you know just before the penalty to get them there and then to get that was just it sealed it really didn't it and, and that was um yeah, I even missed just the game. I just said, "Man, that was that was ballsy. Like it could have been out on the full. Very, I know they had the advantage, and it would have gone back. But um, still, saw a lot of courage to pull that off.
1: Yeah, it was a hell of a play, yeah. um, especially when you look at the change of styles. Because Joshua Winer was really strong. Apart from, well, I think there was one early error. Apart from that, he was really good, Bryn.
4: Yeah, yeah, he was. And look, he's a he's an all-black for a reason. And I think the shape that the Chiefs that the Chiefs have is set up perfectly for Joshy. You know, if they get that really lightning-quick ball that um, you know the Chiefs have been doing pretty well this year, mean um, you're having the forward runners off Josh, you know, pretty, I think, early on in that game for that first try, you know his ability to be able to take it to the line and then offload, um, you know, that's the DNA, which I see in Josh when he's playing at his best when he played for the All Blacks. Um, it's that ability to really test yourself at the line, and, you know, we've seen that in spades with Brenna this year. So, you know, you talk, you talk around depth and having that kind of one-two combo, um, you know, both of them marry really, really nicely. But I think one thing that I did enjoy from the Chiefs um, that they did really, really well on the weekend, Jim, and maybe you saw this as well, but their face play shape on the edge when they scored two crucial tries due to the due when they, when they were running their attack. And we know how hard it is if you look at the Hurricanes and how they defend when they get high with their wingers trying to cut off with that line speed. Um, their ability to be able to have those downline runners to be able to manipulate and get to the space then be able to score tries I think was a tip massive telling in their game because um, as an attacker we know how hard it is when you've got line speed pressure under you consistently, and the Highland, the sorry, the Hurricanes are uh, probably the most aggressive team in the comp, really putting your skill set under pressure. But you know, I thought the, the, the backs and the loose forwards area, really, especially so are the loose forwards and the backs, that they um, took some really nice options and been able to ask really good questions of that um, of that kind of edge defence of the Hurricanes, where they led in a few tries and um, you know scored you know Chase Tia tier, Tia's try, you know within the sixty-first minute um, was probably a telling try to be able to um, to put it away. To 30 15, even though the Hurricanes come back um, and almost won the game, you know. So um, that's the probably the positive of the Hurricanes is that not only against us, you know, they scored three tries in the last 20 minutes. They scored two tries against the Blues to finish. Then they scored another two on the weekend um, with the Chiefs. So, like you said, Jip, they're a team that just doesn't go away. But yeah. you know, you'd probably like to think if they can get that kind of attitude shift in the first 40 or the first 60, and then they don't have to chase the game that they have been in a couple of these derbies this year.
2: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, about that edge attack, a couple of times they had that relieving option to go out the back to, I think, the rover was Quinn on, on, um, you know, one of the flanks, and I can't remember who was on the other side. And against the Hurricanes, that's so crucial, isn't it? You know, if they do rush you and put pressure on those bodies in front, um, you know, and even, to be honest, like, Geordie absolutely hit Gats before Chase Teatea's try, and, you know, he just gets it away, and that, you know, created that opportunity. So there's a lot to like about their short side attack. Um, but I agree. Like, um, the Hurricanes had opportunities, but you know, due to you know Angus having such a great day at scrum time, he, he marched a few penalties and, and marched them out of trouble a little bit. So um, if they can nail down um, set piece, I know they've had their injuries and get a bit more consistency there um, for the Canes in that type five. Um, you know, I, I, I think they'll they'll start winning winning more games than than not. Mm. Should we jump over the Tasman now?
1: Um, I think the most Jaw-dropping thing in that Reds Brumbies game was Hunter Posami once again just destroying someone. Right, <laughs> the
2: guy. He doesn't miss. No. Talk about simplicity and decision making. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's direct and straight, and he doesn't give them time to get the ball away. And if they do, it's 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 an error. Um, so he's a, he's a, it's it's actually a growth. You, you probably have to credit him a little bit, Bryn Like. A number of times last season, you know, at Super Rugby level and international level, he would fly out and it would put his team under pressure. But it's almost like he's got that, um, you know, zoom, cruise, zoom, right? You know, like he really zooms off the line. Then he cruises to make his decision and then goes. And, and the opposition, you know, don't have time to decide. And I think that's been a real growth in this game. And he's always been a hitman. We, we absolutely know that. But what he's got r- right now is his foot speed. Um, you know, pre, um, you know, before the launch and then post as well.
4: Nick White's ears are still ringing. Right?
2: <laughs> There's a few players the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know,
4: sorry, Jip. Um, like you talked around how you talk around the learnings and you talk around the fact that, like, it's been able to hit and stick because, as you know, in defensive structures, if you are going to go make a read and you being able to it. put yourself in a line where it's like, yeah, it's, it's all or nothing um, and getting that right, very similar to actually Malachi Fekitoa, yeah. I think, Jip. In the early early years of him playing with when he was in New Zealand, um, having that ability to really because it takes it takes actually a bit of good understanding around defensive structures, being able to get your timing right, to then go out and actually have a look at it. Um, and Malakai, I remember when he was in New Zealand, did that really really well, and it's great to see Hans Paisami being able to make those those little um, improvements in his game that you know isn't putting his team under pressure where he's actually making a positive play that's having massive um, dividends um for the Reds and that you know that win on the weekend.
1: The Waratahs, Britain, Uh, they got a big win on the weekend over the Drua. Um, probably the yep. best thing to see there was that Michael Hooper was on the bench and he's back in footy because they're a different team with Michael
4: Hooper, aren't they? Oh, look, we, we talk of praises of, of, of Hooper every single time we play Jep do we? Just how impressive 100%. he is as a, as a player and what he, what he brings to that Australian group and what he's going to bring to that Waratahs group. And, you know, if you're talking around the most improved, improved team of the year, you know, you probably have to say the Waratahs. Are right up there you know they've lost the two the two games probably the two form um australian teams in the connect conference with the brumbies and and the reds but other than that you know they've been you know they've won their games that they're supposed to and probably last year a lot of these games they probably wouldn't have lost and so um if you're talking about improvement and anytime you can bring a guy like michael hooper into the environment to be able to um, uplift that group and bring the you know whether it be a training or on the field um, You know, the Warriors have come in massively in leaps and bounds around where they were last year in. You know, it's probably great to see um, any time you can do that as a group to be able to go from, you know, you look at the Chiefs previously, they went to that 0-8 start and then were able to improve. Um, it's great to see the, I guess the improvement that the Warriors have made in the first part of the Super Rugby Pacific.
2: I, I think Hoop is not only important to their pack in providing, you know, good front foot ball, uh, but it's almost the stuff throughout the week that he'll bring in, and he'll galvanise that group mm. but I think he'll be the key to unlocking Fokere and Paresi. I genuinely do I don't think we've seen the best of them yet we know their potential but if they can start getting some front foot ball and they have um, you know we know how good Hooper is at that roving line in and around that midfield it may start creating opportunities for them and/or hoop, Hooper to, to do what he, you know, we used to seeing him do. So, he's a key inclusion back in that Tars side for the rest of the season, you know, finals included.
1: Brent, a few weeks ago we were talking about the Drua and how they were really coming, coming good. You know, like there'd been a couple of games they'd got to win. They were really close in another game. Now, after three weeks in a row with losses, assistant coach Brad Harris has come out and said they need to learn more quickly. Um, this is the round. I suppose this is the roller coaster ride of being a brand new team, is it?
4: Oh, it, it is. It's you know, it's exactly like the the modern Pacifica. You know, being able to have the learnings um, in an environment that's you know, small margin of errors really, as which which, which costs you games. And we you were talking about consistently about moments, and the more moments you can win in games, um, the more times you can win. So you know, whether it's through discipline or whether it be through set piece or um, skill execution and 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 you know, game moments where you need them in to be able to be on. It's little things like that that, you know, the teams that have been here for, you know, since the start um, have had those experiences and those understandings and players that have been in, in games and been in scenarios and understanding what it looks like um, every single week. So, you know, it, they're, they're a new team and, um, you know, you're going to go through your teething problems and um, I guess for them it's, you know, been able to do that consistently in-game. So how do you do that? You know, you try to get your preview right, get your, pre, your prep right through the week, get your training and your learnings, being able to uh, adapt with what you want to rectify from what the mistakes were previously. And then you just try to go out there and you'll be able to try and um, execute what you needed. And so um, very similar to Moana Pacifica. Um, there's going to be just a few teething problems, but um, I think, you know, no doubt that group are just trying to pick out... You know, whether it be just trends for the week that they want to fix for their week, and then being able to then go out on the field and not make sure that you know make them not so cluttered or thinking about too many things, and being able to you know say like we need to do this, this, and that. It might just be a common trend that they want to focus on for their week, or one or two things, and then worry about themselves around how they can execute their game plan or whatever they're trying to do within their week but- who they play.
2: I think that's key. I think just, you know, we sort of spoke about it for Moana Pacifica a few weeks ago, just focus on themselves and, and they'll come out the other side and mm-hmm. they had that win. But I think secondly is um, their ability to learn um, from frustrating situation or desperate situations. And what I mean by that, they let themselves down at times because they're so eager to, to make a play or desperate to make a play that they, they're giving away a yellow card or, a, um, you know, a reckless penalty. And it just puts them under further pressure. So it's, it's about, you know, um, I suppose, as I've said before, it's hard in terms of the experience because they haven't had it yet. But they're having some, you know, games in a row now where they're experiencing that. So they have to learn from that. And they have to be able to control their temperament in those situations.
1: Um, OK, well, let's let's finish off with a few picks, eh, for the week yeah. ahead. Let's have a look at what we've got coming up. We've got the Highlanders v Moana Pacifica. Bryn, start there. Where do you see this one going?
4: Oh look, I think you know, I think Aaron Major would be hoping for a win um, against his old his old team, but um, I think no, I think the Hollanders. I think look, we've talked around the execution, and you know, then probably that's been the Achilles still been able to not score points when they need to. Um, you know, they've had you know had so many opportunities on the weekend, especially the last twenty minutes, and I think um, I think they're going to get it right this weekend, and uh, it'll be their first one uh, this year. Highlanders
2: at home, Hollanders at home. Yep.
1: Not far away. Not far away. That's good. Tony Brown will get a nice smile on his face. <laughs> um, he's been waiting. He's been waiting. Uh, force rebels. Force. <laughs>
4: uh, force. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about you. the rebels. Yeah, I thought about the rebels, man. I thought about the rebels, but no, I'm going to go to force.
1: They haven't sent you a club membership
4: yet. Sadly, no. Just memes.
1: Yeah, just memes. Mm. <laughs> are you copying some memes there?
4: Oh, I don't know. Just sorry, that's I uh, I don't need any. I was just trying to just just
1: laugh. Hurricanes versus Crusaders, Bryn.
4: Ah, uh, Crusaders.
2: Crusaders. Cheese blues. Blues.
4: Where's that been played? Hamilton. Good test for the Blues, I think. It's coming a really good time, I think, for the Blues. Um So, yeah, I'll go for the Blues. They've gone five in a row. And it's, yeah. It's always a tough game watching that one.
2: Mm, it'll be a good game.
4: Oh, can't
2: wait. It's a good afternoon. Yeah. Canes Crusaders and then the Blues Chiefs.
1: That is a good afternoon of footy. There's only oh, one yeah. place you're going to be. Oh, yeah. Are you going to be on that game?
2: No, no. No, no, no. I'll be on the couch enjoying it as a viewer. All right. Yes. Sorry.
4: I'm going to change. I'm going to change my pick. I'm going to go to the Chiefs. <laughs> yes, why?
2: Because he's just remembered I'd the Chiefs down in Christchurch.
4: <laughs> no, I just think, no, I just, uh, I'm nut. I'm just, I'm just going, I've just got a feel, just got a feeling in my gut.
1: you got a gut. There we go. I like it. Uh, the Drua versus the Brumbies. 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 And uh, I think, oh, we've got one more game to follow after that. I suppose let's look at Tuesday maybe as well. Um, the Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica in that Tuesday game, which is yeah, a four-day turnaround for one of the teams and a three-day turnaround for the other. That's really rough, but they're going to use the Hell squad, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Um, or I think the Hurricanes will be fired up for this. Um, they'll, they'll be wanting to right a few wrongs, but um, you know, hopefully there's a full squad to pick f- from for Moana Pacifica as well, so it should be a doozy, but I'll go the Canes.
4: Yeah, I think they'll be um, right on edge for this game, with obviously what happened not too long ago. So, Yalgo yeah, Hurricanes. Cool,
1: classic encounter at Sky Stadium. Thank you both, especially you, Bren, coming in when uh, Dan Carter, you know, left us. We had to bring you off the bench, um, but you know, happy to bring you on. It's done well.
2: Good on you, Brenner.
4: No, no problem, guys. I was gutted. I'd love to see him. Such a such a good looking man. Was, <laughs> sounds sounds like see. you've
2: asked him enough questions over <laughs> in your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah the, the, i think it was, That's was i was, I was gonna
4: try person. you know and i, I needed to do it in a professional way didn't get the chance so yeah uh, yeah Not bad.
1: <laughs> why do we repeat the same question that he asked dan back to him who's the most famous person that you've ever uh, encountered
4: nah mate i'm a nobody mate just you know just teammates i don't even know wouldn't even know I'm just thinking Brady. about Dan Carter and all the people that he's seen
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, hey, well thank you once again Bryn Hall, good luck this weekend as ever, go well James Parsons, another great, uh, another great show looking forward to another one next week and thank you to all for tuning in once again to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod catch all the action on Sky Sport all the analysis on rugbypass.com